Oh man, they are in so much trouble tonight. You don't need an army, sis. Good gravy. That's incredible. Well, I'm glad to see that people are willing to send their children to, to, to church and see their children, hear about their children, learning about the Lord Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of, of teaching uh, Miss Brenda's class. Uh, please keep Miss Pauline Tarpley in your prayer. She just had an awful morning. And anyway, I had the privilege of, of, of teaching one of the Sunday school classes of the kind of the middle-aged young people. And uh, can I just say, I had a blast. I love teaching kids, and I, I'm always blessed by that. And what I did basically was just kind of give the nutshell of, um, of what this sermon's about. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to share just a little bit of that with you if I could. Um, I had them to imagine what you would do if today was your last day on earth. And I had them to give me various possibilities of how that might come about. What might transpire that might bring about our last day on earth? And I got 20 reasons, 20 ways that today might be your last day. And I would like to share those with you. There may be a meteor shower from the outreaches of space that make this your last day on earth. One delightfully young lady said that Jesus might come back today and that might be your last day on earth. Some mad murderer might come and wipe out the human race. The sun might explode. We might lose gravity, get sucked into a black hole and float out into space. Zombies might take over the world. There might be a mad 18-wheel trucker that mows over all of the people of the world. A nuclear war slash bomb might happen. Decepticons might wipe out the human race. If you don't know what a Decepticon is, that's uh, the uh, adversary of the Transformers. Um, aliens might come and take us away. That might cause your last day on Earth. There might be a giant earthquake. Uh, the Earth may crash into the sun, making this your last day on Earth. Uh, there may be an elk stampede that wipes out all the people from the earth. Uh, there may be a horrible experiment gone wrong that causes this to be your last day. Um, there may be man-eating lizards that come and wipe out the people from the earth. There may be 20 F5 tornadoes that wipe out the human race. Um, there may be a series of unexplained house explosions uh, that wipe out the human race. Um, giant anacondas may take over the world and wipe out the human race. And of course, there is also that possibility that rabied animals might come and, and wipe out the earth as well. Um, but one that uh, Miss Kinsley actually provided for us is the most insightful and the most true and probably the most likely if today was going to be your last day. And she said that God may decide that today is your last day. If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that today was going to be your last day on earth, 
Suppose just for a moment you only had 24 hours and you knew it. How would you spend your last few hours on earth? If you knew you were going to die today, what would you do? Where would you go? Would you stay right where you are right now? Or would you hop on a plane and go see one of your loved ones? Would you pick up the phone? Call a few people. And if so, who would you call? When you got a hold of them, what would you say? Today, we're going to read about the day where God revealed a man's last day on earth. Today, we're going to see in the scriptures where God revealed to the prophet Elijah his last day on earth. But before Elijah departs into heaven, we find him walking down the road with his protege, Elisha. There's Elijah and there's Elisha. And as the two are walking, they make several stops along their way that seem to mimic or replicate the stops that we as believers make in our journey in this life. Elijah's travels kind of give us a little view of the progression of the typical Christian life. So, let's look at Elijah's travels as he ventures on toward glory. In the book of 2 Kings, in chapter 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? So he answered, Yeah, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. 
Now, Elijah took his mantle, that is his cloak, his coat, and he rolled it up and he struck the water and the river was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let me Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, so shall it be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces and he also took up the mantle, the coat of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was also divided this way and that. And Elisha crossed over. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, let us break from the typical nature of the Christian walk today. Lord, let us see in Elijah and Elisha's travels, Lord, that which we often do ourselves. And Father, I pray that in the end of your message today, that Father, we are absolutely compelled to move forward with you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So you heard it. As Elijah walked along with Elisha on his last day on earth, the first place he went was to some places of remembrance. To some places of remembrance. Just like all brand new Christians do, the first stop along Elijah's path to glory was a place called Gilgal. Gilgal is a place of new beginnings. Let's read it in verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now you need to know a little bit about Gilgal. Gilgal was important because it was the very first place that Israel camped after crossing the Jordan into the promised land. It was the first place they camped. It was also here that the Israelites first celebrated Passover when they entered the promised land. It's also in Gilgal that God renewed his promises to this generation who had been wandering around the wilderness for over 40 years. But sadly, far too many believers spend their entire Christian lives at Gilgal. Too many Christians spend their whole lives in the place of new beginnings. They never grow. They never leave that place where they first began. Now, some begin to see, they begin to get illuminated to the work that God has called them to do. 
Some begin to see the people who have great need to know the Lord Jesus. Some of those Christians begin to feel that spiritual tug on their heart. But sadly, some never get past the place of dreaming what God might do through them. So all they do is they dream about it and stay in that place of new beginnings. They remain at Gilgal. They remain stuck where they started. Stuck in that place where they began their Christian walk and as a result, listen to this, their Christian lives become unproductive and unfruitful for the glory of God. Because they remain where they started. If that's you today, there's not an accusatory finger being pointed at you, only a recommendation that you move on. Let us pray. Father, I know, as well as I'm standing here, that there are those here today who are stuck where they began. Father, I pray that through the course of your message, that people will begin realizing what you want to do through them. And Lord, they would do what they must do to make those dreams become realities. By faith in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Some go to Gilgal, that place of new beginnings, and we praise the Lord for that because we want people to come. We just don't want them to stay there. However, there are several people, many people, some make it on to Bethel. Bethel is that place of complete dedication. Read with me in verse 2. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. For, but Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yeah, I know. Just keep silent. We're going to read about three times where Elijah tests Elisha. He wants to see whether or not Elisha is going to remain with him all the way to the end. He wants to see if Elisha is going to be faithful with him all the way to the end. And after months of training, Elijah wanted to know if Elisha was up to the challenge. God wants to know, are you up to the challenge? Are you up to the place where you're willing to get out of that place of new beginnings and move on to that place of complete dedication? Elijah wanted to know, was Elisha determined enough to follow through and stay with him up to the very end? Or might he become overwhelmed with the tremendous responsibility of taking over for Elijah one day? Would he just turn around and go back to that place of new beginnings? See, it was a test. It was a test of loyalty. It was a test of resolve for Elijah. And it was kind of like Elijah's way of saying, Hey, I'm about to leave you. Can you handle it? That's what Jesus did with the disciples. He told them over and over again, Hey, I'm about to leave you. Are you ready? You've been with me for three years. We've moved past that place of new beginnings. Are you ready? I'm about to leave you. Are you ready to take over? 
Can I tell you that He says the same thing to you? He brought you to the place where you came into a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but He didn't want you to stay there. He's been preparing you for years. He's been teaching you in Sunday school for years. And He's ready for you to move on past that place of new beginnings into a place of complete dedication. Had Elijah, Elisha stayed in that in Gilgal, he would never have come to the place where he's completely sold out to God. He had to move on. But as you see, Elisha would hear nothing of it. What did he say? He said, I'm going to prove my faithfulness. I'm going to hang with you all the way to the end. And that's what God expects of us. You see, it was at Bethel. It was at Bethel where God first promised the patriarch Jacob, he said, if you'll dedicate yourself to me, I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you'll go and I will not leave you. God was dedicating himself to Jacob and then listen to what Jacob said as he received God's promise. It was at Bethel that Jacob received the promise of God and he dedicated himself. He actually made a vow. He put up his hand and he made a promise to God. And he said, if God will be with me, if he will keep me in the way that I'm going, if he will give me bread to eat, if he will give me clothing to wear, then the Lord shall be my God. And of all you've given to me, I will give back a tenth to you. Held up his hands and made a promise, a promise of dedication. Friends, can I tell you that that's all that tithing is about? People make a big deal about making offerings and tithes in the church. But the only thing that tithes are about is that God wants to see if you're loyal, if you're committed, if you're dependent on him to the point where you're willing to give back a tenth of all that he's poured out into your life. Will you give a tenth of your time? Will you give a tenth of your treasures? Will you give a tenth of your talent back to God? That's all he wants to do. Bethel signified that place of commitment. It signified that place of total dependence on the Lord. Are you today? Are you committed to him? Are you totally dependent upon him with everything that you are and everything that you have? Gilgal. It was that place of Brand new starts. Brand new beginnings. And everybody here has got to start there. But we must move on to Bethel, that place of complete dedication, being sold out to the Lord Jesus, giving back what he has so richly poured into our lives. He's the one that gave you your smarts. He's the one that gave you your personality. He's the one that gave you your ability to play the organ and the piano. He's the one that gave you that ability to sing. He's the one that gave you that ability to teach. He's the one that gave you that ability to speak the name of Jesus. Will you use it for him? Or hold it in for yourself? We've got to move on to that place where we are willing to commit all that we are and all that we have to his glory and his glory alone. Elisha did. And as they traveled on, like them, we often travel also to the place called Jericho. Jericho was a place of past victories. Look in verse 4. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho. 
Now the sons of the prophets who were with or at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And so he said, Yeah, I know. Just keep silent. Again, Elijah tests Elisha, asking him, Remain back in Bethel. Stay back in Bethel while I go some 15 miles over here to Jericho. But again, Elisha wouldn't hear of it. He wouldn't let Elijah go at it alone. Twice now. Elijah has tried to get Elisha to stay put while he moved on to glory. And twice, Elisha refused. Refused to leave his side. Now friend, Jericho is important because Jericho is that place where Israel had its first military victory in the promised land. You remember Jericho. Jericho was that place with those enormous, gigantic walls that surrounded the city. And without one single sword being raised, the walls fell flat and Israel received their first victory. That place of past victories. But the problem with past victories is that some believers are guilty of holding on to them all the time. They want to stay there where that first victory occurred. They want to stay there and hold on to their Jerichos. And sometimes they try to live in the glory of those past victories. Oh, we remember what happened then, and it was so awesome. But we forget that the God who blessed us then is the same God that wants to bless us now. The same God that blessed us in that victory is the same God that wants to take us on to new victories. Same God. You can't live today in the glory of what happened yesterday. you got to move forward. we got to grow beyond those new beginnings. We have to become completely dedicated and let go sometimes of those past victories and then move on to the Jordan. Now the Jordan was a place of moving forward. A place of moving forward. Read there with me in verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, while for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. So for the third time, Elijah tries to convince Elisha, stay behind. And for the third time, Elisha was determined, you ain't going alone. I'm going to hang with you all the way to the end. He wouldn't look back at the victories. But you know what? Elisha would not also would not look back at his mistakes. He wouldn't look back at his failures and allow those failures, those mistakes, or even the victories to hold him back from the glory that God intended in his life. He was not going to do it. What an example for us who desire the Lord's blessing on our church, the Lord's blessing on our ministry in this community. Friend, we've got to get to the point where we don't look back at our failures anymore. Rather, we move forward in the strength of God, move forward in the will of God, all for the glory of God. We've got to move forward. Let us not get hung up in our failures, in our mistakes, or even in the victories that have already happened in our past. Jesus even warned us. He said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. 
Got to move forward. Now, the Jordan River is very important because it also stood in the way of God's people receiving God's promise. There are great things in your life that are standing in the way of you receiving the promises of God. And you have got to move forward through those obstacles. Nothing natural, friend, nothing physical, my friend, nothing man-made can stand in the way of God's people if we are willing to surrender ourselves and trust in Him and trust in those promises He's made. Nothing can stand in the way of God's promises if we will just surrender ourselves to Him and move forward. So do you see how Elijah's journey kind of gives us a, a little view of the normal Christian life? First, we all got to have that Gilgal experience. There must be at least one time of a brand new beginning, a fresh start, where each one of us personally meets the Lord Jesus. Then as we grow in the Lord, we come to this place called Bethel, and that's where we commit ourselves fully. And I pray that you commit yourself fully at this Bethel, praise the Lord. And I pray that you, you come to that place where you are walking in dependence on Him in everything you do. And then as you do that, you're going to have that Jericho experience where you witness something and you just say to yourself, you know, that just had to be God. There's no other explanation for it. It just had to be God. But you can't live today in the glory of what happened yesterday. You've got to move forward. And eventually you will face your own Jordan, which stands in the way of the blessings God wants to give you. But I want to encourage you today to move forward and receive the promises that God has given you. And before you come to the end of your journey, many will have stopped at those places of remembrance. They'll stay there, just like Elijah did, for a time. But as Elijah walked on with Elisha on his last day on earth, he also received, secondly, a final request. Verse 8. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the water, and it was divided this way and that. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, get this, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. So after performing his very last miracle, parting the Jordan River with his mantle, his cloak, his coat, after performing that very last miracle, Elijah turns to Elisha and makes an incredible offer. Ask anything you want. Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken from you? And without batting an eye, Elisha says, please let a double portion of your spirit be on me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I say, man, that Elisha, he was kind of a greedy boy. He wouldn't be satisfied with what Elijah had. He wanted twice as much as what, what Elijah had. But that's not the case. When you studied that and how he asked, in reality, Elisha thought that his mentor, Elijah, was twice the man he was. And he realized that it was going to require twice the amount of the Spirit in order to do 
the work that Elijah had begun. So Elijah's, Elisha's request for a double portion was not asking for more power than Elijah had. Instead, he realizes he's going to need twice as much of God's help to carry on that work that Elijah began. And he responds by saying, you've asked a hard thing. In other words, you know what? You're asking for something only God can give. I can't give that to you. Friends, you and I must move beyond the understandable. We must move beyond the, un- beyond the explainable. We must move beyond the man-made and start praying prayers for things that only God can do. We pray prayers for things that we can do. But we need to get out of the box and start praying for things that only God can do. Remember just a few months after the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, Peter preached, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Are we praying that God would add to Bethel daily those who are being saved? I doubt it. Why? Because that's asking an awful hard thing. That's asking something only God can do. But if God can appear in the midst of a burning bush, if He can part the Red Sea, if He can make bitter water sweet, if He can send bread from heaven, if He can bring water from a rock, if He can give victory in the face of defeat, if He can make water into wine or, and heal the sick, and if He can make the lame to walk and the blind to see, if He can cast out a thousand demons and feed five thousand, if He can raise the dead, surely He can add daily to Bethel those who are being saved. The problem is, we're not trusting God, nor are we asking God for the things only He can do. We're feebly trying to do things in our own power, and friend, that simply will not do. God told Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul wrote, and he prayed for us, saying that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we may know the hope of God's calling, what are the riches of God's inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe. We've got to move beyond our own feeble attempts to do God's work and tap into the Spirit's power to do God's work, God's way for God's glory. Without Him, we ain't got a hope. So how do we do that? Well, Elisha, he asked. He asked for it. He asked for it and then obeyed God. Can I tell you that's exactly the way that the Lord will add to Bethel daily those who are being saved if we will first ask and then obey what he tells us to do. Because Elisha had refused to be sidetracked, refused to be distracted, he received exactly what he asked for. He asked, he obeyed, and God gave. So on our journey to glory, we ought to remember the places of remembrance. But we should also request the things that only God can do. And finally, and I'll close, in the third leg of Elijah's journey, we see a sudden removal. Look in verse 11. Verse 11. 
And then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with the horses of fire and separated the two from them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took that mantle of Elijah that had fallen and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So how did Elijah go to heaven? Most people make the mistake of thinking that he went up in a chariot of fire. But that's not what the Bible said. Verse 11 tells us that Elijah did not get in a chariot of fire. Instead, he went up in a whirlwind. The kids said he went up in an F5 tornado. The chariot of fire appeared and separated Elijah from Elisha. But Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Either way, either way, Elijah had to leave in order for Elisha to take over. And that's the same way in every generation. You want to know why I have such a passion for young people? Because they're the next generation. If God draws, takes me up in a whirlwind, which praise God, I hope he does, then we better have our young people ready to take over the next generation. Sooner or later, God's going to remove you. Sooner or later, God's going to remove me, remove all of us as teachers and preachers, we're going to move off the scene. We'll rise, we'll lead, we'll fight the battle for God. And then at the appointed hour, we'll leave. And we'll be replaced by those whom we have raised up. I want to tell you that none of us are indispensable in the kingdom of God. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. And if we think we are, or we think that someone else is indispensable, we're sorely mistaken. Because there's only one who's indispensable in the work of the Lord, and that's God himself. You know, it took a lot of courage for Elisha to take that cloak of Elijah and to touch that Jordan River. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he believed and he trusted God. Would the same thing happen to me if I touched the Jordan River? Will it part like it did for Elijah? He wasn't trusting in Elijah. He was trusting in Elijah's God. That's a great question for us. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that the people of the Bible are gone? Do you? Everybody in this book, are they gone? Yes or no? Amen. They're all gone. But the God who did the miraculous through all of them, He lives. He lives. He lives. And He lives to do those kinds of works through us and prepare the next generation. So let me ask you, are you ready to take your leadership role on your path to God's glory? Are you stuck in Gilgal? Are you stuck in that place of new beginnings? Are you ready now to commit yourself and move into that place where God wants you? If today was your last day, how would you spend it? What would you do? For us that know the Lord Jesus, death holds no fear. I ain't scared of death.
Death holds no fear for me. But I do know that my time on this planet is very limited. I know that my time on this planet is like a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. And our opportunity to live for something that has eternal value in the scope of things is that big. That's your life. That's your opportunity right there. To do something on earth that has eternal value. What are you going to do about it? You going to be a good steward of this life God's given you? Or are you going to live your life only for temporary things of the world? Or worse yet, are you going to live for yourself? Which will it be? In closing, I think we ought to ask ourselves two questions. One, am I like Elijah? Am I seeking to be a blessing to others right up until the time that the Lord takes me home? Or maybe I'm like Elisha. And I'm committed to the call that God has given me. Can I tell you that for believers, God demands both. He calls you out to be a blessing to other people. And he also calls you to be committed to what he's called you to do. So what will it be? The Lord Jesus gave his all so that you could be in a relationship with him. Are you stuck in the place of new beginnings? Or are you ready to move on? He gave his all so that we could be in a relationship with God. Can I tell you that you have lived your life long enough for yourself? You've lived life long enough for yourself. Today is the day for you to move beyond that place of new beginnings and into a place of complete dedication to the work that God's called you to do. And I can't think of a better place in the whole planet than to do it than right here. This is a place where everyone here can make a difference. It's a place like this that you can make an impact. You can change lives. God can change lives through you. He can do the miraculous things through you. But you've got to come to that place of complete dedication. Today is the day for you to commit yourself to Him, whether it be for the first time, getting a brand new start for your life, or realizing that it's been far too long since you have moved on, and it's time for you to move on to a place of dedication. So what will it be? Stuck in Gilgal or moving on to Bethel, praise God? What will it be? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this time of decision is a very simple one. Because we all know what the Word of God has spoken to us this morning. That we ought not be satisfied with just being saved. But realize that we've been saved to serve. Father, whoever it is, however many it may be this morning, that are ready to move on from Gilgal. Lord, bring them. Lord, let them come up to me and let me pray with them. Lord, if there's that one who is ready to make that first step of faith, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, getting that fresh start, that clean slate, that new beginning, Lord, let today be their day. 
Let me show them how the Bible says they can be saved for all eternity and have a relationship with you. Only you can do it, Father. This is the miraculous I spoke of. You're the only one that can save a soul. Lord, we're just obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.